Welcome to Decoding Security. Here at SiteLock, we come across a wide range of topics around online security and wanted to start bringing them to you. With the recent data breach at Equifax, we thought this was a great place to start. Discussing Equifax and a few other interesting tidbits are our hosts, Jessica Ortega and Michael Veenstra. Why don't you two introduce yourselves? Hi, my name is Jessica Ortega. I'm a website security research analyst here at SiteLock. I got my start in Linux systems administration in terms of service enforcement, catching bad guys on servers before moving into security. And my name is Michael Veenstra. I'm also a web security research analyst here at SiteLock. Uh, I too got my start in Linux systems administration and I now do development in Bash, Python, and PHP. Big news the last couple of weeks with the Equifax breach and the theft of the data of nearly 143 million Americans. But before we get into the meat and potatoes of that topic, Jessica, I understand you've got some good news for the cybersecurity industry. I do, yeah. Something really awesome is happening with mainstreaming of the industry. Gossip Magazine, Teen Vogue, recently started putting out articles about cybersecurity, actually going all the way back to May of 2017. They started covering things like ransomware, two-factor authentication. And then in August, they actually profiled a female hacker. She goes by the handle Malware Unicorn and got her start at the Department of Defense with the government. She goes over what it's like to be a cybersecurity professional and why young adults and teenagers should consider it for a career. Things like being able to travel the world, being able to work remotely, conferences, damage control, all of that. She goes into the perks of being able to go to conferences and meet professionals in the industry. And she also talks about how she she got her start, which is really important because there is a lack of talent in the cybersecurity industry right now, and we are trying to recruit more and more. We are, and the thing that they're doing is really great because it's exposing people to this industry that might not otherwise have known about it or really known it's an option. We see hackers as this sort of thing that you are or are not, but it's it's absolutely something that anybody can learn to do. Right. And everybody starts somewhere. We, we all have to gain those skills. It's not magic. It's not something you're born with. And the obvious discussion of women in technology, trying to gain that exposure, we hear about pipelining and things like that. But really just showing people and, and young adults in general, not just young women, that this is an option is going to do wonders for the workforce that this industry is going to have at their disposal. It really goes a long way towards pushing young adults into STEM careers, not just cybersecurity, although that is incredibly important as we're going to discuss today with the Equifax breach. <laughs> right. So to anybody who may not have already heard, on September 7th, credit reporting bureau Equifax disclosed that there was a major breach of consumer data Reports indicate that of Americans alone, up to 143 million consumers were affected with personal data being leaked from social security numbers to residence history, employment history, etc. This is being reported as one of the biggest breaches in history, just given the scope of the data that is breached, as well as the amount of individuals affected by this. It's not just the, the scope that's the issue either. You know, these are not customers, they're consumers, and there's a critical difference because we don't voluntarily give this data to Equifax. This is data that Equifax has collected throughout the credit history of these consumers, and it's not just Americans either. There's estimates that as many as 40 million consumers in Britain as well as Argentina have been impacted, and I'm sure that we'll find out more globally as the story progresses. 
Obviously, because of the size and scope of this breach, we're seeing a fair amount of media coverage locally, nationally, and globally. And that's causing a fair amount of backlash to Equifax, not only because of the breach, but because of their handling of the breach and how they decided to disclose that. The breach itself uh, is reported to have taken place between May and July of this year, with Equifax identifying the breach on July 29th, and they opted to wait until September 7th before disclosing it to the public. That's correct. And there's some speculation about some of the reasons they opted to wait, including them hiring a third-party firm to investigate the breach. That firm was found to have registered domain names like Equihacks.com, Equifax spelled incorrectly, uh, and then EquifaxSecurity2017.com, which ultimately ended up becoming the site that Equifax is allowing consumers to use to determine if they were impacted by the breach. There's also a fair amount of speculation about whether or not that time was taken to patch. And as I understand it, this was a non-trivial patch. Right. The the vulnerability exploited was initially up in the air. Early reports suggested that it was a vulnerability disclosed a few days before the breach was disclosed. There was some blowback from the Apache development community. It was later identified that the breach was executed by use of a vulnerability disclosed back in March and patched back then as well. Whether there was time to perform these patches uh, is up in the air. It's not trivial to perform these sort of patches with struts. It's more of a migration than anything. And so depending on the type of applications running on it, that can be quite a process. But it's not to say that there's not other steps that can be taken. Some of that backlash is coming from the fact that even though we know it's non-trivial, it is a very difficult patch requiring a migration and in some ways a complete rebuild and test of the applications to make sure that they haven't lost functionality. That said, it has still been from March to May. They had two months to complete these patches prior to the breach occurring. So there is some backlash about why they didn't complete the patches. There has been an FTC investigation opened into their security policies. And prominent security writer Brian Krebs has even gone so far as to call their response a dumpster fire. The delay in performing the patches is controversial because we don't know whether they started the minute the patch was released and it's just a matter of waiting for them to finish testing. They haven't released anything on that subject just yet, but there are other stopgaps that they could have taken. Apache's documentation itself suggests a number of workarounds to sealing up this vulnerability by way of limiting in the configuration of Apache struts that apparently was not leveraged in this case. There's also quite a bit of discussion about how this much data was pulled from their servers without somebody noticing and pulling the plug earlier. To me, that suggests that potentially Equifax isn't using a layered security model. They may not have web application firewalls in place. They may not have that data hidden on a network that's not publicly accessible. It's not air-gapped to the internet. And I'm sure as the investigation that the FTC has opened proceeds, we'll find out more about their specific policies. But I think it's important for us to mention that there are steps that any business can take to prevent these kind of breaches from occurring. Yeah, it requires being proactive, certainly. And it's not to suggest that any of these methods would have been a perfect solution. Of course, patching would be optimal, but given the scope of how big of a company Equifax is, there's no telling how many internal applications even are running Java web applications through Apache struts. So there, there's a non-zero amount of testing that has to go into rolling this sort of thing out. Web application firewalls have come up, and I've, I've done a little bit of digging on this. 
according to some of my sources I've looked at, the vulnerability itself and communications with struts are actually fairly easy to obfuscate, and it's hard to write WAF signatures for that. Now, it's possible, and of course, we don't know exactly what sort of attack was used. It could have been completely unobfuscated. They haven't done any release on that yet, as well as the scope of this attack to do a scope pivoting. You know, they're, they're attacking the Apache struts vulnerability, but they can pivot from there and get to other areas of, of the network, which is why it's so important, like you mentioned, to do air gapping. That brings to the, the forefront the importance not only of air gapping, but of network monitoring, of log monitoring. We don't know at this point how noisy this attack was or how much traffic that the attackers were causing on the network or what kind of monitoring processes were in place, procedures as far as the security center at Equifax. These are all steps that any business could take to protect themselves from a data breach, to have an incident response plan in place in the event that they do see abnormal traffic on their logs or their network. It's purely speculative at this point, but it really goes to underline how important it is that we are vigilant with our security. There's there's no one layer that's going to be perfect. We talk a lot in security about assuming breach, and that's why having these layers in place are so important. We've got the updates, of course, that, that are blocking that sort of front-end vulnerability. But if we assume that they're going to get past that, what are we going to do to prevent that sort of pivoting? There needs to be transaction logging to the database containing all of this data. There needs to be a way to associate every one of these requests with where it's coming from and why. Now, it might not necessarily do much good retrospectively. The attack has happened, but having this sort of thing in place could aid law enforcement in determining the adversary responsible for this. Like you said, the attack has happened, the damage is done. So on an individual consumer level, where do we go from here, right? That's really the next step that people are going to be wondering. And like I said before, Equifax did set up EquifaxSecurity2017.com that anybody can go there and supposedly check to see if they've been impacted. However, there has been some speculation and even reports with screenshots that people are getting different results based on the information that they're putting in. For an example, there are screenshots available of somebody putting in the same information of last name and social security number on mobile and then again on desktop and getting you've been impacted on the mobile version, you haven't been impacted on the desktop version. So we're really not sure about the efficacy of that. Right. And I've tried it myself. I've done it through a number of VPNs. I, I haven't personally been able to duplicate that discrepancy. Mine just says I've been owned left and right. But um... Mine too. Yeah, I mean, and statistically, if you're an adult in America, you were. Reports are actually indicating that it could be up to 70% of the U.S. population that was impacted by this. And I, I want to clarify, the 70% is uh, of American adults, not all Americans. Right. So it's probably safe to assume that if you're an adult and you have any kind of credit history, that you're probably impacted by this in some way or another. Checking on this website is, of course, predicated on being able to get to it. Initially, in the first few hours after it was released to the public, OpenDNS was flagging the domain Equifax Security 2017 as a phishing site. Phishing is a, a huge concern right now, too. It's not just this Equifax 2017 site. People are, are beginning to set up Equifax phishing schemes, as well as phishing schemes claiming that they're going to protect your credit when they're actually going to steal your information. 
Oh, it's a scammer's delight out there. There have been multiple publicized cases of actors on the dark net claiming that they were the adversaries responsible and, and putting up transaction requests, requesting payment for this data, one of which was blackmailing Equifax and trying to ransom the data out. Others were trying to crowdfund the public release of it. Ultimately, however, there were investigations into the blockchains of these Bitcoin wallets being referenced, and it doesn't look like any anybody's fallen for it. Well, that's good news. There are steps that you can take to protect yourself now that the the damage has been done. Equifax themselves is offering a free credit freeze for 30 days and free credit monitoring for one year. You do want to be careful with that initially when they release those offers. The terms of service had opt-outs when you signed them saying that you would not or could not sue Equifax or join any class action lawsuits that do end up happening as a result of this breach. However, the backlash from that caused them to release a statement on September 9th saying that if you opt into these services, you are not opting out of your day in court should one occur. The credit freeze service itself actually was initially something that they were offering as a paid service, but following additional media and social media backlash, offering that service for free, but you have to opt in within 30 days. There's a good deal of hesitance from the general public on this. Initially, we had identified the data that it requires to unfreeze your credit is the data that has already been leaked. The only other element required to do that is a pin that is generated at the time that you start the freeze and you can change it. But there were issues called up about the randomness of these pins and it was determined that the pin that you were given was actually just a timestamp of when you requested the freeze. And credit freezing itself is not a laughing matter. It doesn't just stop identity thieves from trying to steal your data or trying to use it nefariously, but it also stops you from being able to open a new line of credit. While the freeze is on, you can't get a new credit card, you can't refinance your car, you can't get a mortgage. Anything that you would need a credit report for, you can't do until you unfreeze it, which you would have to do using this data and the PIN that was generated. And this is also going to be strictly on Equifax's interpretation of your credit score. Of course, there are the other bureaus out there, Experian and TransUnion. There's nothing preventing the use of the data stolen from Experian being used against you in other manners. So there's a number of things that people who have this data can do with it. Everything from identity theft using your social security number to fake transactions using the credit card numbers to even going so far as to trying to get mortgages with your information or your address. There are some things that you can look out for if you're a consumer who's been impacted. Make sure you change all the username and passwords for your credit card accounts, for your bank accounts, just to be on the safe side. Make sure that you're not using the same password over and over and over again, because if they can use your social security number to retrieve one password, they'll then have your entire army, basically, of usernames and passwords. Check your existing credit card accounts and checking accounts for anything that's abnormal, any activity or transactions that you didn't do. And then you can also every year get one credit report from all three of these credit bureaus that you can check to make sure that there isn't any abnormal activity already. But as we know, when these breaches occur, the persons responsible often hold on to that data for months at a time to lay low and avoid law enforcement prior to releasing it or using it nefariously. They'll sit tight with it for a little bit until the heat dies down, so to speak. And then if they have their own plans for it, that's when they'll use it or they'll sell it to the highest bidder. And given the uh, just the size of this data set that we're talking, it's very possible that we're looking at more than just what we think of as en masse identity theft. Credit fraud is certainly 
certainly something that happens and identity theft, of course, happens. But with this amount of data automating or really scaling up to using that much of it for simple fraud, it would be a heck of an undertaking. What we may see instead, and I've seen speculation on a number of things, stolen identities for the purposes of illegal immigration, as well as the idea of identifying weak human factors. If I was an organization in control of this data, somebody on the scale of, say, an organized crime organization or a nation state trying to infiltrate a company or a government agency, having this data would be indispensable. Can you imagine, you know, if, if I wanted to get a mole somewhere or get a flash drive full of malware plugged into a server at my competitor's office. What easier way to do that than by looking into my huge database and finding who their brokest sysadmin is, who has the most debt or who is constantly moving around or who has had such a, a volatile employment history that they may be desperate for some sort of angel financially to come down and save them from this. And that might be something that a lot of people find attractive and would be willing to put their morals aside and cave to that pressure. And that's definitely a concern, not only on a corporate level, but like you said, at a state level, if, if somebody wanted to plant a spy in a government agency using this data to either blackmail them or to pay them off could be potentially a critical security vulnerability for all of our government agencies from the CIA to ICE to the Department of Homeland Security. So it is really important that now that we know the breach has occurred, that consumers use everything at their disposal to protect themselves to monitor their credit. And there is one tip that I've seen a lot of security professionals posting, and I want to reiterate it, and that is to consider an identity theft protection service from a third party. If that's something that you're able to afford and up your alley, don't use the services that are being provided by Experian or Equifax or TransUnion because they may be more vulnerable than a third party would to any potential nefariousness or breaches within the credit bureau themselves. And it is, of course, scary, this amount of data being out there. There is a small bit of solace in the fact that with there being this much data, individuals, your Tom, Dick, and Jane out there, they don't have quite as big of a target on their back. They're one fish in a pool of 143 million, and being singled out for that sort of attack is statistically unlikely. But being vigilant about this sort of thing is just best practices in general, even if this weren't the kind of breach we were dealing with. Keeping an eye on this stuff is important to do just for your own safety. And that's why we're here presenting that information to you. Thank you, Jessica and Michael. Hopefully some of our listeners can put the tips that you gave to good use. And speaking of our listeners, we want to thank you all for listening. Be sure to check out our next episode on October 3rd, where we will be discussing website security basics. Decoding Security is hosted by Jessica Ortega and Michael Veenstra and is produced by Tofer Tebow for SiteLock. <laughs>